Welcome to Get Around To It. I'm Aoife Barry. And I'm Lauren Murphy. And it is 2022. We are back. Another year, another year of culture, another year of hopefully great TV, films, music and books. Um, Happy New Year, Lauren. Yeah, Happy New Year to you too. Hopefully it's a better year than last year. I know. Well, it looks like it will be, right? Looks like things are looking a little bit up. How is your, the first couple of weeks of January being for you? It's kind of like a little bit like Groundhog Day in a way, but I, I do feel positive about 2022 and I've gotten totally obsessed with the TV show that I'll be talking about in a bit. So that's kind of helped me through, I think, the last number of weeks. And I, I, I had a nice Christmas with the very low-key Christmases I think everybody had and watched a load of movies with my mum. So that was a really nice way, I think, to like end 2021 yeah. <laughs> and start off going into 2022. Um, so yeah, I kind of uh, can't believe it's just the years are floating on by, I don't know. It's kind of a bit mad, isn't it? Indeed. And hopefully 2022 was a better year. And um, like you said, I spent loads of Christmas watching TV more than more than books or even yeah. reading. Although, although you have a book to talk about, we'll get to that later. Um, but do you want to kick off with TV then, considering that we've both been watching loads over the last while? Absolutely. So I was saying that a second ago that I was really obsessed with the new series. And I love that feeling, you know, like when you just like really get into a TV series where like, like Succession, for example, we were obsessed with Succession with The Wire or Sopranos, whatever, like a series, you just get like really, really into it. Um, So this series is called Yellow Jackets. And it's actually a bit more similar to, I suppose, getting obsessed with something like Lost, I think. Were you, were you like a obsessive fan of Lost back in the day? Not really, actually. Like everybody else, I watched the first season of it and was like, oh my God, this yeah. is such a novel like idea for a, for a series, I guess, because that, nothing like that had, had been done before. And yeah. Kind of that was around the same time that as TV started really, you know, it sounds silly to say, but TV started like taking off in a way, you know, like major series, US mm-hmm. series started bleeding into our kind of culture as well um so I think Lost for me was one of those first big tv series that kind of crossed over that wasn't like you know an 80s show like Dallas or something like that yeah. but it was like the one of the first what I'm trying to clumsily say <laughs> it was one of the first major um tv shows of the new era of tv if you want to put it like that yeah totally I remember like I watched I can't even remember how many series there even were because I watched the first few series was mm. it like five series of Lost or have I imagined it might have that? even been more than that I only oh watched the first one but yeah I think there was like maybe there might have even been six. Oh my god six or eight was there I can't which remember. sounds crazy um but like I definitely I watched the first few and then I think towards the tail end of it when it was kind of just like obvious that the people who created it didn't really know how to wrap up the story, I just like lost interest in it. And then I remember the finale um, and the last few episodes not doing very well. And it is always kind of trotted out when you when you're talking about these like big dramatic series with like a big mystery at the center of them, mm. and an example of one that's just like not that great. Um, but hopefully Yellow Jackets won't go down the lost route. But I mean, like who knows, you know? Um, so. Yellow Jackets is on Now TV, so it's quite easy to get if you want to sign up for like a free subscription for a little while and, and don't forget to um, cancel it if you don't want to keep it going. But Now TV is great. It's about €15 Euro a month if you want to get the, the TV version of it. So it's an American drama series. Um, there's a lot of Canadian people in it and British people in it too, so it's a fairly uh, wide-ranging cast. And it's created by a couple. They're called Ashley Lyle and Bart Nickerson. And 
they kind of were inspired by an online discussion allegedly um about the lord of the flies and people saying oh you know what if the lord of the flies was all women oh you know they just end up collaborating with each other and getting on and ashley lyle and bart nickerson were kind of like mm, that's probably not the case like i'm sure if you know young women were abandoned on an island somewhere um they actually would probably do the same kind of stuff that, that happened in lord of the flies so those people clearly never went to an all-girls school like i did yeah Secondary i know same here like i mean like young young teenage girls we are as vicious as the boys like in, in a, maybe in a slightly different way like there's no heads flushed down toilets and things like that but like wasn't that you know it's not that dreamy being in secondary school and all girls school definitely um so this is a really interesting series because it's got two different timelines so the kind of the first timeline is in 1996 so we meet a group of girls they're soccer players they're in a new jersey high school and they're traveling to Seattle for the national uh, game, kind of like a national tournament in 1996. But while they're flying over Canada, their plane crashes in the middle of the wilderness. And some people die, some people survive, including uh, one of the adults who's there with them too. There's only about two or three adults on the plane with them. And then the second storyline is kind of present day in around like 2021 or thereabouts, where we catch up with some of the adults who survived the crash. And we realize that they're still kind of grappling with what happened, but also that there's loads of secrets around what happened while they were stuck in the wilderness and there's a blackmailing plot in the modern day one as well too where somebody's trying to get money out of a couple of the surviving women or kind of for the surviving women um they all have different secrets and something that's really clever that happens at the start of the series is that the first kind of opening scenes in the pilot are of a girl running in like a really light um like dress not dressing gown kind of like nightgown should I say running in the snow in the wilderness in freezing cold and she falls into a pit now this isn't that much of a spoiler because it literally happens in like the first five minutes of the show falls into a pit and is clearly dead and then the following scenes realize there's some sort of cannibalism happening and that there's this group of people who are in the wilderness dressed up in furs obviously young women we think, dressed up in furs and they're having some sort of a ritual and they're eating meat, which we're presuming is human meat, potentially from this person who was killed. So from the get-go, you're like, okay, things are going to get pretty crazy with this group of girls who are dropped into the wilderness. Um, Now, this isn't also a spoiler to say that by the kind of penultimate episode of the first season, they haven't even got into anything around um this cannibalism so you're left guessing about a lot of the big plot points that are highlighted at the start of the series for you um i still haven't watched the final episode i'm going to watch it today or tomorrow but so far i've watched all the other ones and it's been um renewed for second series and when i found that out when i was first watching the episodes i thought god how are they going to stretch the story out do you know what i mean like how are Mm. they going to drag it out but it's really really cleverly written um the actors are all brilliant. Like the young cast are amazing. People like Sophie Thatcher and Jasmine Savoy Brown, Sophie Nelise, they're all fantastic. And what's really great is that the adult women in it are amazing actors and some of them are people that like are iconic 1990s people. So Christina Ricci is in it. She stars as a woman called oh. Misty. She's yeah. so amazing in it. Juliette I haven't seen Lewis. her in anything in years actually. Has I she know. been in stuff or has she I... been kind of semi-retired? I think she's done bits and bobs, but I'm, I don't think like she's done anything as high profile as this or kind of as interesting oh. as this in the last little while. Juliette Lewis is in this as well. Um, Melanie Linsky is in it. She's so great. And Tawny Cypress, who I wouldn't have been as familiar familiar with. So they have like 
they've young versions of them and then the adult versions of them and they've done such a good job of casting the two of them like they all are really really alike in terms of like how they look and how they speak and everything um so it's just so such a great series because i heard it described as a puzzle box series um and it is such a puzzle box like there's constant questions about what's going on what really happened in the wilderness um there's lots of red herrings and things like that where like you the showrunners and the writers are kind of hinting that like a person in in the present day might be this person in the past or are they or who survived who didn't did this person really die you know why aren't we seeing some of the characters so you're constantly guessing all the time what's going on um and it's really great to see the characters like the women in their 40s like really good meaty roles um there too Nobody in this is like a perfect character. They're all really multi-layered and not all necessarily really nice people, but you really care about them because they're just like really well written. Um, there's a 1990s nostalgia. So if like us, you were a teenager in the 90s, there's a lot there for you. Although these people were older than we would be. Um, great 90s music on the soundtrack as well. So there's all of that crack going on. Um, and it just keeps you guessing the whole time. So I'm just quite obsessed. I was on the Reddit forum, not posting or anything, but I was like reading the Reddit forum religiously for quite a while until I kept getting spoilers because they get the series a bit earlier in the US. Um, but I can't wait for the finale. I'm just like super excited. And from what I know, like it's really, really amazing. Um, so yeah, that's Yellow Jackets and it's on now TV. It's also a Sky Atlantic um, series as well too. Excellent. That sounds really good. And how long are the episodes? Are they an hour long or are they yeah. shorter? Okay. Yeah, they're about an hour long. So you get like a really, right. a really good series out of it. Like what some of the things that aren't like that are kind of funny are like, you know, if 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 we were on a plane that like crashed in the middle of wilderness, you'd imagine that about a month into it, you'd like look absolutely horrific. Um mm. they do tend to look a little bit too glam for young teens who are stuck with no food or anything in uh, right. the wilderness. And there are a few bits and bobs who are like, oh, they found a handy place to live but besides that like the rest of it's quite realistic to a point I think you know okay. um so it's really enjoyable and you the series you're going to talk about another tv series now that I have heard of but I haven't um I haven't watched it all I think this is one that's connected to a movie right yeah it's kind of loosely connected to a movie I guess it's called Gamora and like you it's a series that I've heard about for years and everybody said that's really good it's really good I never got around to watching it, but as we know, the joy of this podcast, as mm. we like to remind our listeners, um, it doesn't have to be new, it just has to be good, and this is really good. Basically, it's an Italian crime series about the mafia, or the Camorra, as they're known in a particular part of Italy, um, basically a crime syndicate, and it first aired in 2014, but it's based on a book, like you said, that is written, well... A movie came after the book, but mm. the both are based on a book written by um, a guy called Roberto Saviano. And it was actually a stage show before it was a film. And now it's a TV series. Um, they're all based on the same book that was published in t- 2008. But none of them are technically related. Like the characters in the TV show, as far as you know, are not the same characters as the film. Right. So it's a little bit confusing. I haven't read the book, but essentially it tells the story of organized crime in Italy and Roberto Saviano actually had death threats from I think maybe a couple of the crime families that that exposed that he exposed in the book um and he's lived under police protection since 2006 which is kind of mad um Mm. and he's also the same guy that wrote the book zero 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 you know that that Sky Atlantic show from last year that Gabriel Byrne and Dane DeHaan were in so he has form for you know investigative journalism um sort of books uh, but basically, the series is 
you know, it's regularly hailed as one of the greatest crime dramas of the last 20 years. I think one article I read described it as along the same lines as The Wire and The Sopranos. Now, I've only just finished season two. There are five seasons in total and the new one, <clears throat> excuse me, the new one just aired there recently, I think in the last few months. So only two se- seasons in, I'll reserve judgment on that front for the moment. What I will say is that it's really excellent so far. So it's all mostly based in Naples and season one sets the scene with this uh, guy called Pietro Savastano or Don Pietro, who is basically the head honcho of the Camorra in Naples. And his second in command is a guy called Ciro de Marzio. Um, and Don Pietro's son, Gennaro, aka Jenny, as they call him, should be the one that's kind of, I guess, poised to inherit his, his drugs empire. But he's really naive and... He's kind of more interested in hanging out with his mates and acting the maggot, basically. So <laughs> Chiro is very much the kind of, you know, Pietro's second in command. Um, but something happens halfway through season one. I'm not going to spoil it, but it basically changes the course of both Jenny's life and the whole operation in Naples. And what follows then is a very bloody civil war as, you know, several different factions, I guess, amongst the, the Camorra wrestle for control. And Chiro and Jenny are kind of pitted against each other as the main players. Um, so, it, I mean, as far as that sort of stuff goes, it is, you know, standard to an extent. It's like a crime drama. But what I really like about it is that it's really well written. It's really fast paced and there are no, you know, sacred cows. Like there's lots of twists and, and shocking turns that you don't see coming. And one thing I will say also is that it's very violent and quite bloody. So if you're of a kind of squeamish disposition or you don't like a lot of violence, maybe it's not for you. But the thing about it is it never feels gratuitous because the characters are just so well written and they're so well developed that you're with them through everything. And there's loads of characters in it too. And for me, I found it kind of hard to, especially for the first season when you're kind of learning who everybody is it's hard to keep track of who's who at times obviously it is subtitled it's italian but it does give time to each of the main players and their backstory so we get a real sense of who they are rather than them just being seen as peripheral characters if that makes sense yeah and you know like you were saying before you mentioned succession there is not a likable character amongst the entire <laughs> cast of this either they're all pretty much horrible people but you know when has that stopped us from enjoying a series Totally. As, as the likes of Succession has proven and as you're saying about Yellow Jackets. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really, really good. It's been hugely successful. I think it was sold in some, like 190 countries and definitely one of Sky's biggest successes. I think I might be wrong. I think Sky Italy were the first to um, screen it and it's obviously been huge in Italy. Um, and like I said, just finished season two and so much has happened so far that I'm wondering where else it can actually go to get to season five. But I'm definitely going to stick with it. So if you're into crime dramas, this is exceptionally well made and I wholeheartedly wholeheartedly even recommend it. And it's on Sky now and now TV also. So you can watch all five seasons on demand and please do and let us know what you think. And do you think like with the tone, is the tone closer to the original film, which is very kind of intense and serious, or is it close to something like Sopranos where you've got like the crime going on, but kind of a dark humour as well? Um, It's probably more serious. Yeah, I'd say it's more intense. The thing about Sopranos is, you know, you had the whole storyline of Tony being in therapy and yeah. 
there was kind of characters like Polly and Silvio and people like that that I guess lightened the mood a little bit. This one is a lot more just very much like this is a drugs empire that people are fighting and killing over and there's not many laughs but in fact, there's no laughs. <laughs> just thinking about it, have I, have I laughed out loud at this once? Not intentionally, anyway. But um, it's it's re- it's just really, really good. It's it's kind of, I guess, I was going to say it's more like The Wire, but, you know, The Wire even had some comedic moments with the likes of Bunk and McNulty and, and that yeah. sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's definitely one of the, the, the darkest um, crime series I've seen in a while. But, yeah. Uh, it's it's really like I said, really well made, and um, I'm I'm curious to see where else it can go because there was a bombshell at the at the end of season two. I only watched the last episode of season two last night, and a huge thing happens. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with it. Great, that sounds really interesting. Um, kind of feels like you have to be maybe a little bit uh, you know, in the zone to like watch something yeah. that intense. I mean, with the movie, definitely you're just like, oh my god, these criminal groups will just stop at nothing. Pretty terrifying. Um, the second series, TV series that you've been watching, I have never heard of this. So please tell me all. Okay, this is a thing. Like nobody else I know has heard of this series, <laughs> but it and it's it's a series again that first aired a few years ago now the first season aired in 2019 i think but i only stumbled it uh, i only stumbled upon it just before christmas and it's genuinely one of the funniest sharpest and sweetest sitcoms i've ever seen it's honestly absolutely brilliant i can't believe more people aren't talking about it and giving it its dues um it's called the cockfields it's on um gold you know the the tv channel i'm not sure if you can get it on now tv i oh, think yeah. you can um on virgin tv you can definitely get it on sky um and it's called the cockfields and it's co-written by comedians david earl and joe wilkinson both of whom are actors and ac- actually you might know joe wilkinson from a lot of panel shows he does stuff like eight out of ten cats does countdown and he does some stand-up stuff as well and i think he's actually good friends with our own david o'doherty he was on his recent um the bike program what's it called uh, along for the ride oh, is that okay. it yeah and he was also downright hilarious on the excellent travel man with richard Awadi. but um i digress he's he's a big tall guy and he has a beard and his name is joe wilkinson <laughs> and he's brilliant and all that to say is this is the best thing that he's ever done he basically plays simon a guy called simon who is in series one bringing his girlfriend who was played by the brilliant diane morgan um, aka Philomena Kunk and she's in Motherland as well and she's brilliant and everything Um, he's bringing her home to the Isle of Wight to meet his mum and his stepdad and his stepbrother David basically for the first time Um, the thing about this series is that nothing actually really happens in it I mean they're there for a few days and they're in the house most of the time and the whole series is you know focused on the characters rather than the plot but there's a real skill and a real joy to do in that. It's not easy to pull off. They like they capture the family dynamics so, so brilliantly. The mum who's played by Sue Johnson is just absolutely superb. She was in like loads of stuff. She was in the royal family. Um and she plays this kind of like sweet, bumbling, lovely mum mm-hmm. that just wants desperately to to see her grown up boy so happy and um settle down and she like goes out of her way to you know call 
the girlfriend by her name the whole time <laughs> and it gets really uncomfortable and then there's the, the somewhat boorish stepdad Ray who is played absolutely superbly by the late Bobby Ball in season one unfortunately he passed away then so he was replaced by Gregor Fisher um, as the same character in season two um, who is best known for obviously Rob C. Nesbitt and he's brilliant as well and then there's the, the lovable idiot kind of stepbrother David and Simon's wannabe play-by-dad and his new girlfriend kind of float in and out of it and they could all descend into caricature so easily but they don't it's just so subtle and it's so sharp and it's been a long 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 time since I've seen a family and you know small town characters portrayed so wittily and Mm. just so it's just so funny some of the lines in it are just like so many people will you know it will strike a chord with a lot of people because there's a poignancy to, you know, bringing a, a partner home to the the small town that you grew up in. And you kind of, Simon has moved away to, I think he's living in London or Manchester, a big city anyway. And he's really trying hard not to revert to his exasperated teenage self when he's back in his childhood home. So I think a lot of it will resonate uh, with, uh, with, with people in similar positions and as much as it's a comedy I think the Guardian described it as cringe comedy there is something deeper there that's explored with storyline in season two as well um so it's it's absolutely just I I I know I recommend things every month on this series but I so recommend this if you're into just really subtle really well written hilarious sitcom uh, it takes a lot to make me laugh at loud of stuff but i lost count of the times i laughed at this and as i said earlier it's streaming on sky go and now tv and virgin tv anywhere um so you should catch it on one of them and please do that sounds great i'm yes. uh, very intrigued about that and uh, for some reason i kind of got the vibe of uh, when you're describing that did you ever see that film sight series ben wheatley's film sight yeah series? it's not a hundred miles from that sort of humor ah. definitely definitely yeah it's along those lines but it's again it's because it's based around a family um there are like i suppose there are cringy moments in it that's cringe that's where the cringe comedy label comes from that joe wilkinson is associated with but um it's just so witty like it's I can't recommend. I'm. I actually want to. I just finished watching season two over Christmas, and I want. And there's a Christmas special as well. That's brilliant. And I actually want to go back and and <laughs> watch it straight away again because it's so good. Oh, I love that feeling. This is, I love that feeling. Um, that sounds great. I must check that out. Um, I only watched side series recently. It's been on the list for a while, and it's so good. Like I it's think really some people good. would hate it. Like you know what I mean. That it's like it's dark, but like yeah. I absolutely. Loved it. If people haven't seen it, it's about a guy called Chris and uh, his girlfriend, Tina, and she's played by Alice Lowe, who's always brilliant and everything, and Steve Oram, and they're just the weirdest couple and things on their little kind of uh, trip around uh, the British countryside. Things get weirder and weirder and darker and darker as yeah. the film goes on, and it's just just so good. So many good lines. Um, like... Uh, they have a phrase for when they would it mint me. She says mint me, mint me, Chris. When she wants Chris to give her a mint in the car, and oh. <laughs> very funny. Uh, very, yeah, very I must go back and rewatch. Actually, it's the Cockfield isn't quite as weird as that, right. but um, it's definitely like if you find something like sightseers funny, then you'll probably find something like this funny as well. 
Lovely. It's great. Um, we're going to go to film now. And a film, this film I'm going to talk about, it's interesting. You know when you go to see something and like you really enjoy it at the time? Um, or even maybe even you half enjoy it. But this, this I did really enjoy it at the time. But then after a little while you kind of think about it and actually you love it even more as opposed to those films where you think about it and you're like, oh, why did I enjoy that film? Yeah. Um, I really I really feel like a lot of tender feelings towards this film now that, that like, now that I think about it when I was kind of doing my, my research for this. Um, I don't know if you've got to see it yet. It's called Licorice Pizza. No, I haven't actually seen it. I'm dying to see it. I've heard good things. Is it as good? Well, it, you've already said it is as good as <laughs> the reviews suggest. Tell us about yeah. it, so... Sure. So it's directed by the one and only Paul Thomas Anderson. So, you know, Boogie Nights, uh, Phantom Thread, another film of his that I think like the more you watch it, the like, better it gets. Um, you know, anybody who's into movies will obviously know Paul Thomas Anderson's work. And he always makes such like, I feel like he always makes like really big films. You know what I mean? That like they're not big in the sense of like um you know like a michael bay big film but like you know so it's a load of a big cast and there's like a lot of ideas and a film like magnolia for example has got like a million things happening in it but he's always in like full control of of like what's happening in the film like he's such a great director um and he just pays so much attention to like every single element element to it so this one is is him kind of going back in time and and being inspired a bit by his by his childhood so so it's um, set in the 70s in 1973. It's about Alana Kane and Gary Valentine, who are two young people. She's around 25-ish, we think. And uh, Gary is 15 when they first meet. Um, they bump into each other while he's at school about to get his photograph taken at the kind of like, you know, like end of year photo session or whatever. And she, Alana, is the photographer's assistant. And they strike up this really funny conversation at the start of the film that kind of sets the tone for like their relationship for the whole film so you know she's very serious and kind of like you know being a bit like just leave me alone and he is really confident and you know uh, charismatic and just wants to talk to her and asks her out on a date and he says to her look you know meet me at this restaurant that in real life is, was quite a famous restaurant um, at the time and she reluctantly goes on a date with him and that kind of kicks off this relationship friendship between each other that we get to follow and we get to follow the adventures that they go on and how they develop as people and how they explore ideas and you know get involved in different kind of businesses and following through and stuff that they that they want to do and what's interesting about it is that um Paul Thomas Anderson was influenced by a few things so one thing was his own like young life so he grew up in the San Fernando Valley where it's set in the 70s so you know it's kind of comes from that element of his life but then a friend of his called Gary Goatsman he ran a company which is similar to what Alana and Gary end up um Alana and Gary end up running in the film so there's that kind of his memories and he was also a child actor which is the same as Gary Valentine is in the film so he's really kind of pulling from a lot of real life stories um, and he also wanted to make something that was kind of influenced by like you know Fast Times at Ridgemont High or American Graffiti which are two really great 70s movies as well that are really about like young people high school college that's those sort of eras um and that were like very influential i suppose um at the times that they came out so i just when i was reading about this film i was just remembering all the lovely bits of it that i really enjoyed you know the interactions between alana and gary and how gary valentine is played by um cooper hoffman who is the son of philip seymour hoffman and he's such like a naturalistic actor he's like so charismatic and so 
normal and so full of this like energy this like positive energy like wants things to happen and Alana is Alana Alana Heim from the band Heim. I think I'm pronouncing mm. that right. So she's already like a rock star her, or a musician in her own life. And her sisters are in, and her parents are also in the film. So her real life sisters, Danielle and Este, and her dad, Moti, and her mom, Donna, stars her family in it. So oh, right. it's really that, cool. Actually. Yeah, so yeah. you really get like the dynamic of them. And like, they're really funny. There's like one particular bit where she talks to her sister and her sister try to get, tries to give her advice and she just ends up like being like, just leave me alone in a way that like, that's exactly what you do when you're a teenager and your sister <laughs> is trying to get you to do something. Um, so I thought it was really lovely and nostalgic for the 70s. I obviously did not grow up in the San Fernando Valley in the 70s, so... For me, it was more like a nostalgia for a time I'd never been in. Um, and it looked beautiful. The costumes are amazing. It's in 70s enough that you know it's in the 70s, but like the clothes are all the really kind of like polyester style 70s stuff that like people were wearing at the time that's maybe not that fashionable. So I really liked that they showed people wearing those as opposed to maybe like kind of super fashionable, like, or like, you know, really nice clothes that you want you might want to wear yourself like yeah. although a lot of Alana's outfits her her outfits are particularly tasteful um and I think overall I would I'm just looking forward to re-watching it and just getting that sense of starting off your kind of teenage life having ideas following through what you want to do and never feeling mm-hmm. like the world is against you because I think that they like kind of have that sense of like no matter what they do they will even if they don't achieve it they'll like move on to the next project something that maybe when you're an adult is a little bit harder to do um so yeah that was that's licorice pizza and i would highly recommend it it was just lovely such good filmmaking you know oh to have that talent I really want to see it. Did you see it in a cinema? Well, it's I not did. out on streaming yet, right? So I no, it's not. It yeah, I saw it in the cinema. I also saw Belfast recently. Um, oh yeah, that looks great. Kenneth yeah. Branagh. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh's new film, um, starring um Katrina Balfe and also Jamie Dornan, and a young boy called Jude Hill. I think is his name, who is very doughty. Uh, it, it it's very nostalgic as well, but in a really different way to Licorice Pizza, and it's very sweet film and I think kind of cheesy in parts um but it's still okay. kind of it still kind of got me like do you know what I mean like there are bits where I was like this kind of dialogue is a bit cheesier this setup right. is a bit cheesy but I still felt like oh it's very doughty at the same time you know kind of touched me at the same time um but it's set it's set during the troubles at the very start of the troubles um so it's really interesting in terms of how it like to pick that through the eyes of a child so <laughs> I will leave you um so I leave you Make up your own mind about it. Let me know what you think about it when you see it. I will indeed. And I, I just realised in our last episode, I said that I was going to talk about Dune. Oh, yes, um, yes. Did you watch it? I did. I won't go into great um detail about it. I thought it was grand. Yeah. Like, it's a, I don't think it's the amazing film that a lot of people were talking about. Like, it looked great. Um, I, don't, I really don't like Timothy Chalamet anyway. Like, he just annoys the hell out of me. So. A little weasel. <laughs> Sorry if you're listening, Timothy, but I just don't like you. Um, but I, like, I do like to, I do like Timmy. I have to say, like, yeah. but I see what you mean that he's not exactly playing a character that's a million miles away from any other character he's exactly. ever played. Exactly, it's just him in space, you know, or wherever <laughs> the planet is called, Arrakis, is what it's called. But um, it, it's grand, um, enjoyable, but yeah, uh, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't all that. I'd be interested to hear what our listeners thought of Dune. Overrated or was it the best thing you saw last year? Let us know. 
Yeah, I'd be intrigued too. Because I felt like... I felt like it's one of those films where I was like, maybe I just like don't love this because I like never read Dune and I'm not really into that kind of fantasy sci-fi stuff or whatever. Maybe I got the genres wrong there. Please don't kill me if I did. Um, do you know? And like, I you seen... shouldn't have to be into no, like you know. Yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah. And like, it's beautiful looking. I really liked Denis Villeneuve, but I think I prefer his films when they're like smaller scale. Like, I love Enemy and I love. Um, was another film that came out around then. They oh, Prisoners fucking love Prisoners oh, so prisoners much. Is like great. yeah, yeah. One of the best, isn't it? But then as he gets like bigger scale, I'm less into it. Like really wasn't into yeah. Blade Runner at all. I'm not a Blade Runner stan anyway. But like visually, I love it. But like didn't really love some of the stuff. Yeah, original. that's that's the thing about him. Like I think he's a art. Oh, this might be the most profound thing I've ever said about. <laughs> <laughs> he's an art house filmmaker in a blockbuster filmmakers body because like he he makes really beautiful looking um films like even arrival oh i loved arrival bits in that um were so like gorgeous and i i wasn't crazy about that film in general either but he makes really beautiful looking films but it feels like he could have done more interesting things with the big scale things but he had to stick to you know he had to stick to the big scale at the same yeah. time does that yeah. make sense no totally does he couldn't digress he couldn't get weird in any way i suppose in the in the way that he might have done with his smaller scale films yeah that's so true and like i had seen um david lynch's dune about a month beforehand it was in the lighthouse because i hadn't seen it and i'd always kind of avoided it thinking it'd be really really terrible it's actually great crack like i really enjoyed it yeah i've um, never actually seen that one it's gas like it's it's not i think i'd i'd really kind of be like oh it's not gonna make any sense and it's this and it's that but like and actually, he breaks it down pretty easily. Like, the plot's very much the same between the two in terms of how they break down what happens in this massive book, except mm. um, you get more of the plot in, in uh, David Lynch's version. And there's some kind of gross characters and stuff, but, like, I actually thought it was grand. It really it really wasn't bad at all. Um, and I think, like... <laughs> you can put that on the poster, David. It I know. Wasn't bad at all. <laughs> I was actually the worst bit of film criticism I've ever said there in, 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 the, la- in the last two sentences. My God, what's happened to my brain? Um, but uh, it's very... it's set in the, it's It was filmed in the 80s and it is very 80s. Um, yeah. Even though it's set in, I don't know, the year or whatever, like 1 billion, you know, BC or whatever. I don't know. Um, but I agree with you in that, like, it's very... Uh, Villeneuve's... Um, Dune is very slick, you know, it's like super yeah. slick. Whereas like David Lynch's is much more like felt like more indie almost, even though he would have had a big budget to make it, you know, and he had special effects and things that people might not have used before, but it just felt a bit like scrappier and more colourful and stuff and okay. less concerned with like the consistency of the tone that like I think Villeneuve was like uh, you know, kind of obsessed with. Um Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I don't know, yeah, I don't I'll know. Check that one out it seems like it might be yeah. more thing. I think yeah, and I th- I think I think the latest Dune is like, do you know what it is? There's not really that massive like emotional connection. I think you can make with that yeah. film. I think that's, that's maybe it. one of the biggest things. Yeah, and also I hate Timothy Chalamet. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> um, we'll go. We'll go to books now. Um, I'll talk about one book, and then you've got one to chat about, and then I'll, I'll do brief mention of one as well at the end. Yeah. Okay. And then we still, I think, hopefully, have time to chat about the Choice Music Prize as well before we finish up. So I'll, I'll be swift. Um, so I got sent a copy of Neve Campbell's second novel. It's called We Were Young, and people might remember. Long time listeners might remember. I talked about her very first. Um, her debut novel This Happy on one of the first episodes I think of Get Around To It and I was a big fan of that and I really really loved this book I think um, 
it is like a step forward for her. You know, like when you when you like really enjoy seeing a writer evolve and or like uh, improve is the wrong word to say because she's a really good writer anyway. It's not like she had like loads of improvement or anything, but like she's really growing as a writer and I think this this novel really shows it so it's about a guy called Cormac who's about 38 he lives in Dublin he's from Dundalk and we meet him in the present day when he's surrounded by you know a lot of his friends are like married or have kids or whatever kind of moving on with their lives and he has moved back to the city after living in London for a while and he had a big breakup and he goes out with loads of people he doesn't have any trouble kind of attracting men or women or anything um but he can't kind of seem to like focus maybe on one person or even focus on what he's doing with his life like he's kind of got a lot of questions around who he is and what he's doing and we meet him in the last few weeks of the year where he meets a young dancer who's like definitely like a young millennium millennial a lot younger than him and we get a sense of their their relationship and how different they are throughout this novel. But we also meet loads of his other friends and we just see him kind of wandering through his life in Dublin. What I really liked about it is that she's really good about writing about place. So this book and the last book were set in Dublin. And I mean, obviously living in Dublin, having lived in Dublin so long, you know, they, when you see any mentions of places, you know, you're like, oh my God, she's talking about you know Bernard Shaw pub or whatever mm. but uh, she's got so she's like so many places that she mentions all the time she really like introduces you to places and, and describes them and, and just kind of situates you there and I just really love that about it that you got a really like good journey around Dublin and locations in Dublin and the book is really a lot about like the difference between Dublin when Cormac first lived there and when he lived there in the present day in the book and so I really thought I tapped into that idea of like when you're getting older, the city you're in changing, places closing down, new places opening up, new people kind of doing things around town and you getting to like your late 30s, maybe early 40s and being like, wow, all this time has passed. Like the city I live in is really different. You know, all these young people are coming up doing cool things. Who even am I? And I thought she really like, she does a really great job of like exploring that through this, through this character. And he's kind of, you know, he's kind of a troubled character. He's not like, you know, he's got his traumas in his life and stuff. He's not this perfect guy, but you really get a sense of who he is. Um, so yeah, I think if you're someone who likes books that are not super plot heavy, that are really character driven, that are really Irish and that, that explore ideas about what people are thinking and talking about now, like, you know, relationships, sexuality, jobs, you know, Dublin City, politics, you'll get that all in this book. And she does take an interesting risk at one point in the book. I won't say what it is, but there's a bit that I thought, wow, She's really taken a risk with this narrative thing that she's done here. And mm. yeah, I think that's something to keep an eye out for. So that's We Were Young. It's by Neve Campbell and it's going to be out on the 17th of February. So just after Valentine's Day. So maybe buy for somebody who hates Valentine's Day is what I would say. <laughs> um, tell us about the book you're reading. It's one that I still have yet to read. I've read the other books. This is still on my shelf and I should have it read by now. So done more. Yeah, it's a new Ashling book from the oh, oh my god, what a complete Ashling series! I think we talked about the previous one, um, and spoke about how much we loved her as a character and the books in general. Mm. Um, so this is the fourth one. It was published in the latter half of twenty twenty one, and I finally got around to reading it over Christmas. And I just love these books so much. They're like a a hug in book form. They're just really well written. They're really witty. They're comforting. And it's such a cliche, but, you know, it's really like catching up with an old pal every time a new one is published. So if you're not familiar with the Ashling series, I suppose a brief brief synopsis might help. 
they're written by Emer McLeisett and Sarah Breen and the concept of Ashling began as I guess a sort of in-joke amongst them and their mates about this naive country girl who you know works in a big smoke for some like I think she works as at a, I think she works in an insurance firm in the first book um, and she's the sort of girl who'll keep all her receipts from the ATM and top them up uh, you know hold them against her bank balance and sort of girl who'll swap her work shoes for runners on the way home from her job and carry them in in a brown thomas bag so you know over the course of four books the character has really developed and grown and it's been lovely to go on that journey with her the the last book once twice three times in ashling basically saw her return into her hometown of ballygobbard and open a really successful cafe called ballygo brunch um, introducing the concept of brunch to small town Ireland <laughs> <laughs> and for the latest installment which is called Ashling and the City as you might as the title suggests uh, she gets a job offer in New York for basically a new career as a party planner or an entertainment architect as her boss is known and so we see the big apple through her eyes and it's just really funny and really sweet and of course all the old characters from Ballygobbard are still looming in the background her best friend Madge and her old flame John and something serious happens in an, an environmental disaster happens in Ballygobbard while well, she's in New York so she's kind of pulled back hearing all the news from from there while she's in New York and I don't know for me it's as always with these books it's the little touches and the little jokes that make it so enjoyable like Ashling Bean like when she moves into her apartment in in Manhattan she's aghast by the fact that there's no kettle in the apartment how are we going to make tea how do they make tea um or not being sure about the fireman that she's dating because he wears naff jewelry like leather bracelets and beaded necklaces (laughs) that's a fair thing for her to be you know not into that is no offense to any of our readers who wear leather bracelets and necklaces but (laughs) each their own each their own yeah indeed but you know it's tricky i think to write about this quintessentially irish character in an american setting without being hokey and going full leprechaun i guess even unintentionally but they do it so well it's it's like the opposite of paddy wackery because it's subtly taking the piss out of that whole world and like how ridiculous it can be at times and how over the top our american friends can be just cultural differences um but it takes the piss out of it really well and <laughs> it's just really funny and like i said it's like a hug from a friend and it's highly recommend i highly recommend all of these books but it's definitely a good thing to with this installment to shake things up and take ashling out of ireland and it works really well so that is ashling and the city by emer mcleisett and sarah breen yeah, like, I mean, there's a reason why those books have sold in their bajillions and why they're, like, mm. constantly at the top of the bestseller list because they, cause they're such great books. I mean, they're, like, page turners. They have great characters, like you're saying, and you, like, recognise bits of yourself. Like, they always mm. say, like, inside everybody is an Ashling. Um, and it's just great to see to see it still going. And I think they're right to probably draw a line under it, you know. Probably, yeah. When it's going yeah. well. Yeah, you're probably right. It's It's probably best to, you know quit while they're ahead um but apparently they're adapting the ashling concept for tv it was originally meant to be a film but now they're working on it as a tv series so maybe we haven't quite seen the last of ashling just yet 
Yeah, so my next book is an Irish book as well. It's just come out today, the day that we're recording this, and it is called Breaking Point. It's by Adele Coffey, and full disclosure, Adele is a friend of mine, so I'm not reviewing this uh, without having any connection to it or anything. Um, But this is, like, such an interesting book because I was kind of nervous about reading it because the plot of it is actually quite dark. Um, And it's commercial, kind of, it's commercial fiction with a kind of like a thriller slash crime slash like focusing on mothers book I don't think focusing on mothers is a genre but we'll get over it and um, like a you know family orientated book um it's about a woman called Susanna who is a pediatrician based in New York and I thought that was an interesting decision to base this book in New York and not in Ireland um it's very clever because it means obviously it'll appeal to a broader audience perhaps than people who aren't familiar with Ireland so that, that was very um very good move I thought um so the pediatrician is called Susanna and one day she leaves her infant daughter in a car on a summer's morning and her daughter passes away. So it's a really not a nice thing that happens. Um, Pretty horrific. And I'd read an article about stuff like this happening a few years back and it's never left me because it's the ultimate tragedy really uh, where mm. there's nobody at fault um, and it's can so easily happen to people. But she's taken this idea of this happening to this woman and looks in the book at this the circumstances around it but swiftly moves into the kind of how the media treat her and then into the court case and she brings in another character called Adelaide who's like the second I suppose protagonist in it who's a CNN reporter who's covering the trial and she has suffered some sort of loss we get a sense of at the start of it and we know that the memories of what's happened in this tragedy are triggered for her you know by this assignment and you're following the two women as they go along and I what I thought really kind of marks this book out for maybe other people who might have tried to cover this if they were going to go to cover this this very dark topic is that there's so much empathy for the women involved like you know it's not treated as like in a really um kind of gross or uncomfortable way um you really get a sense of who Susanna is how she's under so much pressure in her day job how she has to like be this parenting expert literally because she's written books about parenting how people expect her to be perfect um and her marriage be perfect and her kids be perfect and actually like everybody else she's just got a normal life and all of these pressures kind of lead up to this terrible day and then she's trying to deal with the aftermath of that and then she's put on trial and she has people assuming all these things about her and she's you know suffers because of that and then you've got Adelaide who is you know triggered by what's happening and what she has to cover but she also is like working this really tough job where you know you really get the sense um and Adele is is a journalist um, herself and it would have worked in 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 the news arena as well um but mostly does I think um arts and culture stuff now but like she knows what it's like to be in a newsroom and under pressure and having to cover a story and like maybe that sense of empathy that you have sometimes flies out the window, do you know, because mm-hmm. you're like just trying to get the story done. So she's really good at covering that too. And I just I just thought she has so much empathy and caring for these people while crafting a really page turning story with it because you're desperate to find out like what's going to happen, what's going to happen with the trial, what happened in Adelaide's life. We know something did, what was it? Um, and, you know, I think for parents, they'll find a lot in it that they'll recognize in terms of like the pressures on people and the love for kids and all that sort of stuff too. Um, and I think she's really kind of used a lot of her own life of being a parent of kids um, to inspire those ideas that she explores in this. And it's a very kind of modern, a modern day book as well too. And it's something that I think people who are fans of Adele's work would have been 
waiting for ages for her to, to have her first book come out so it's really exciting I think for her personally as well to have have the book coming out too um so it's called Breaking Point it'll definitely be a bestseller and it's by Adele Coffee, and you can buy it now if you want to so not being paid to say any of this <laughs> <laughs> excellent no that sounds really good I have to say that I read the synopsis of the book and it kind of terrified me just being a parent that I didn't think I'd be able to read it because it is quite obviously upsetting subject matter but um, I know it, I, I'm familiar with Adele's work as a journalist she's a great writer so you've convinced me to give it a go with that yeah. little mini review. I totally understand the reticence because I felt the same because like it's such a awful thing to read about you know mm. and it's also something that's like really unusual you know like which sounds weird but like we're, we're so used to reading about other sort of horrific things or watching them or whatever on the screen and this is the kind of thing where you're like oh god it's very close to home like yeah. you can see how it would happen oh my god something that you can't, can't really become numb to because it's so horrific isn't it yeah yeah completely Whereas you're yeah. used to hearing about murders and all horrible things yeah isn't it funny every day but um anyway Let's end on a, a more um, upbeat note than murder yeah. <laughs> or death. Uh, let's let's finish off this month's uh, pod by talking about music, a little bit of music. Um, so I've mentioned before, I'm, I'm actually still on maternity leave at the moment, so I'm a little bit out of the loop. But one thing I always stay invested in is the Choice Music Prize for Irish Album of the Year, probably because I just listen to both through choice and for work, a huge amount of Irish music every year. And we've both been judges on the panel in the past. And it's always a really enjoyable shindig. And it's a really enjoyable night on a, the actual night of the award, which usually happens at Vicar Street. It didn't happen last year, unfortunately, because of COVID. But it's back again at Vicar Street this year after a hiatus. And the nominees were announced recently. And it's another really, really strong list, I think. Um, I was delighted to see some of my favourites on there as well as a couple of albums that I'm not as familiar with but that's the great thing about this it's it kind of points you towards stuff that um everybody else is saying is great and you should check out so uh did you see the the shortlist I did and I kind of I felt really um I kind of felt like wow it's a tough year for the judges in a good way because there was loads of great albums that came out this year and loads of albums that like people were talking about a lot so it was like for those I love it's definitely it was definitely going to be on it and is on it um people like Orla Gartland Elaine May are on it um a lot of people that like there's a lot of discussion around and that they have a good following um Saint Sister I think are on it too yeah when and then when I went back and I looked at the the long list you know all of the albums that could have been actually put on it I was really struck by all the, the great people on it who didn't get on who you might have expected you know like John Francis Flynn yes I definitely would have thought he would have got on and Absolutely. Altered Hours um yeah you know Brian even Dee Dee, Brian yeah Cosby, people like that Kosha I thought that album would would definitely have made it but um look that goes to to show how great Irish music is right now all the albums yeah. that didn't make it completely um, but uh, yeah, I remember saying in an earlier episode this year that I or last year that I thought for for those I love was shoe in for this year's prize, and I still think that's probably the case. Um, hip hop and spoken word has generally performed quite strongly in in previous years, and I think it'll do the job. But there's some great albums on, like Bicep, um, yeah, the the Northern Irish electronic duos. Their second album, Isles, is nominated. Mick Flannery and Susan O'Neill's album, In the Game absolutely gorgeous album yeah really good um, Orla Gertland as you mentioned there who I was pleasantly surprised to see on it because that is a really really good quirky pop album um, 
and has a real depth as well. So delighted to see that. House plants, dry goods, the um super group of sorts, I guess you would call it by um Dohi and Paul Noon from Bell X One album is really great. Reminds me a lot of L C D sound system parts. Um Kojak Townsdead, his second uh, appearance on the Choice Prize. Mm-hmm. Elaine May, home, lovely electronic music. Um, lovely. She had a, a single, I think the first single released from um, the album early enough last year with May Kay, um, which was excellent. May Kay from formerly of Fight Like Apes. Uh, Saint Sister, absolutely gorgeous album, Where I Should End. Soda Blonde, Small Talk, I'm delighted to see them on it because, you know, they nearly everything I've ever read about Soda Blonde mention Little Green Cars. They're, I guess, yeah. previous guys of sorts. Um, four of the band that were Little Green Cars went on to become Soda Blonde. But that album is so good. It's ab- like absolutely stands on its own merits. Forget about their past. It's a really good album. It's called Small Talk. And finally, Villagers Fever Dreams, which was I, I guess it was between that and for those I love for my top Irish album of 2021 so such a beautiful album and I think so it, will be, it will be between that and for those I love yeah um, for for to take the prize which I think will be announced right. on March the 3rd yeah no I think you're right I really yeah. love that Villagers album so much it's, it's just so good so good like just so good, yeah. I mean, the best villagers album, yeah. I think, yeah. I think it's the best one. He's done. It's yeah. so, it's so like there's so much going on, so much talk on into all the songs. It's kind of experimental, like the very mm. first track, um, or kind of the start of the album is, I think, slightly off key on purpose, and then kind of goes into key. Like it's all, it's really unusual. Um, he's such a great songwriter, and I was quite yeah. late to the villagers, um, thing. But now I'm a fully paid up fan. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but for those I love, has had quite a couple of years. Really hasn't he? So it'll be yeah. interesting to see how he does. But I think it is a stunning album. In fairness, absolutely yeah. stunning album and but, really um, unique. There's nobody yes. really doing what he's doing exactly anywhere. Not even in Irish yeah. music. I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be a, an interesting, um, interesting who had that the judges have this year, and um. If you make it along to Bridge Street on the 3rd of March, good for you. It's a, I think seven of the ten acts are confirmed to play live so far. And if you can't make it along, it'll be broadcast live on 2FM from 7 to 11 that night as well. Yeah, I think we'll leave it there. That's all I have to say about the choice, music yeah. price, um, and culture in general this month. Yes, thanks, Emil. Everybody for coming along and uh, listening into all of our our tips for January twenty twenty two. We've got plenty more to come as the year goes on. We'll be back next month with more more stuff that we recommend. I think it's kind of shaping up for a good a good year. I think it's going to be a good year, particularly TV. There seems to be a lot of cool TV stuff coming up, so um, yeah. looking forward to seeing that and um, a lot of great movies and stuff. So yeah, have a great a great month, a great week, a great day, and we'll see you next time when we get around to it. Thanks, bye. They would have stayed away for anyone else. They would have stayed away for.